Uh, but I, want, I do want to talk to you about something that, that occurred to me as I thought about all these big events, these major events, these thousands of people that would gather, whether it's for a, a political convention or, or the thousands that will go and make the, the trip to Rio or the millions watching on TV, and even those of us who, well, not too long from now, will tune into football. You know, here's the best description of football. I don't know. I could talk a lot about football. I'll try not to bore you all day with football. Here's the best description I've heard of football. Football is 100 million people who need exercise watching 22 people who really need to rest. <laughs> when you think about it, that's about the case, nonetheless. Um, but, but when I think about those mass gatherings, I, I, I look at them, and you've often heard them compared, or maybe not often, but you've probably heard it compared to, well, this sort of a mass gathering. We call it church, or more particularly, we often call this gathering the worship service. In fact, that's how it's usually publicized in churches. We say our worship service starts at ours, in the case of us, 9 a.m. Others have different um, times. And, and what we mean is we're all going to get together and we're going to worship. Now, worship looks different in different places. Um, we saw earlier today, uh, as we started our service, some different aspects of worship, different descriptions of worship, worship through music, those sorts of things that went on. Um, we've done that already. We, we think of, actually, in music, there's even categories in our minds of types of music. There's praise music, which is sort of the more upbeat and, and, you know, makes you kind of want to clap your hands and all. And then there's what people often call worship music, which is a little more subdued, a little more introspective, maybe a little slower beat. Are you familiar with these terms? You're looking at me like <laughs> you're as tired as I feel. So, okay, nonetheless, we, we look at it that way. And it's interesting, um, if you've never been up on stage during a worship service as a part of a, a music group or done something up here, it is very fun to watch your reactions. It's also scary. Yes, I'm saying it. You scare me sometimes. No. But, but we think about this. You know, we come into these places. But, but today I want to kind of start talking about, and I don't know how long we'll, we'll meander through here, but this idea of worship. What is worship? We really do narrow it down to a particular hour or particular hour and a half, if we're honest, in this church on Sunday mornings. Here's our worship service. But, but really, today I want us to look at worship differently because I don't think worship is only what happens here in this place. And what we see in Scripture is that in our world, there is a bit of a confusion about worship. Now, now let me, let me kind of just throw out a few ideas here. Um, one idea is worship is a response. And typically, worship is a response that we offer to that which we find most valuable. And we find a lot of things valuable. Here today, we say we're in a worship service. The, the message, the songs, we point to God. And we want to say in this kind of a context, the most valuable thing is God. And so that's why we come and worship. But you're going to leave here and go about the rest of your week. And you're going to be pursuing some things, you're going to find some other things valuable. And the question is, will you worship those? The best way to find out what you worship, someone once said, is to inspect two things, your checkbook and your schedule. Where do you spend your time? 
and where do you spend your money. Those are the things that you're probably in some manner worshiping. And what happens in our lives and in our, our mindset is there is so much competing for our attention, so much competing for our time, so much competing even for our dollars, that it's easy to get the order of what things should be kind of mixed up. In fact, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in Romans chapter 1 today that, that sort of, in many ways, encapsulates the modern world with what has happened. And you could narrow it down to our country or our state or our city or, unfortunately, narrow it down to the guy I see in the mirror every morning. It encapsulates the issues we have with this thing we call worship. Because with all of these things competing, it's easy to forget there is only one who is worthy to receive all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And in my life, sometimes that gets a little bit out of whack. Romans chapter one, Paul's writing to the church at Rome and he's got some amazing things to say. Romans is a fascinating book. We studied it on Wednesday night for a while. Well, for like 16 years, I think it took us to go through the book of Romans. We were very slow doing it. And and it's it's very um, comprehensive in its in its look at things, probably the most complete sort of theological view Paul would paint of his picture of God and the place of Christ and all of that sort of thing. But he starts in chapter 1 uh, by, by pointing out what happens in our world when in verse 21 is where we're going to start. In Romans 1, 21, Paul says this, For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. When I, when I look at that, I, I see so much of a warning to us and a, a reminder to me that we can make an exchange, and it's not a good exchange. In fact, it's a very poor exchange. We can exchange, it says here, the truth of God for a lie, or the glory of the immortal God for things that are very temporal, very mortal, very temporary and and i find it interesting that it starts at verse 21 it says for although they knew god do you know when you take surveys of our country the overwhelming percentage of people that are surveyed in america would profess a faith in god just a huge number and i know that those things have have changed when we talk about particular religious allegiance but if you just say very generally faith in god huge number of people in our country and and I, i read that and that comes to my mind and it says even though they knew god they made a trade they neither glorified him as god nor gave thanks to him so they knew him or they knew more particularly about him they've maybe been raised in church or been to church or they're in our culture with media there's access to christian things and so there's that reality but we make this incredible exchange and the the exchange is tough it says they were what though they thought themselves wise they became fools now how many of you here would say yes that's me i'm a fool it's not a nice i didn't actually hope many no none of you would raise your hand that wasn't really audience participation that was one of those like 
uh, rhetorical, internalized, think about it questions, or it's supposed to actually be one you're not going to answer. Just to think. But, but nobody wants to be called a fool, right? Um, in fact, there's that thing that tells us you shouldn't call people fools and the like. But nonetheless, we don't want to be called that. We think we're pretty wise as a rule, right? In fact, if you were to think about our country with our education system, with our emphasis on going beyond just high school but on to higher education, the number of people that are able to go to college now, the programs that, that are out there to help people go to college and others being proposed, all those things. We're, we're overall a pretty well-educated society, and we think because we're well-educated, we know things. Like, for instance, I could give you a math quiz today. This was my favorite activity in school when they did the multiplication tables. Do you remember this? Where, where you'd start and whoever was in front, so in this case it'd be Marie, you would stand up and John would stand up beside you and I'd hold a flashcard with a multiplication problem on it. And the first one to answer correctly stayed standing and the other one sat down and went to the next desk. And I hold up another, you remember this? Am I the only class that ever did that? I brought some flashcards, you want to play today? Yeah, Drake does, okay. You know, we, we, those are things that we did. We, we, we know a lot of stuff, in fact, there are things today, because of the, prevel- the prevalence yeah, prevalence of media, we can know a lot about what's going on in the world. And we fancy ourselves pretty well-educated, pretty wise. And what the outgrowth of that has become in our culture, I think, is we think we know best. And we don't like, I've said this before, anybody to tell us what to do. I want to kind of be in charge of my own life. And it, it's interesting having a daughter who's sort of on that cusp of adulthood. In fact, uh, I see some others that would post things about adulting. You know, these college kids go away and they're, they're on their own for their first time and, and they're thrilled about it, but then responsibility of life smacks them in the face. And we parents sit home and go, yep, saw it coming. Laundry. Isn't laundry fun? <laughs> Did you know I have to sort laundry? Did you know that? There's nobody admitting anything, but there's lots of people looking at other people out there. <laughs> now, see, we husbands learn early on, when our wives ask us to do the laundry, we put the brightest colors in with the whitest, most expensive whites you have, and we say, I didn't know, and we're told, you can never do laundry again. And we say, amen, sister. <laughs> That's what we were after. I'm going to go watch football. You know. We act like, you know, we just didn't know. We knew. We knew. We knew it. We just, shh. I just, just, there we go. You know, we, we, we like to, to do our own thing. We like to think we have things together. And, and I think about, you know, my daughter who's learning and facing things for the first time because she's a couple of hours away from home and having to deal with those adulting things. It's not easy but but eventually we know we kind of figured out we get in our own we, we've got this all together we think we we don't want people to tell us what to do as as young adults we don't want our parents anymore at times to tell us what to do and and then somewhere along the line maybe if you're like me as you get older you're like man i really wish my dad was still here because i have some things i'd like to talk to him about because I, I need his advice on this and we miss that parental oversight that's kind of a mark of maturity when you say i can't wait to get out from under them to i wish I could talk to them more, I think, in, in that process, and we grow up. And we think we're so 
wise. We think we're so smart, and we realize we've made a ridiculous exchange, a bad trade. And we've exchanged what we think wisdom, which is an actuality, foolishness. And we've put something else in place of God in our lives. We've chosen to elevate something to the point of that's what we're pursuing, that's what we're spending time on, that's what we're spending money on, that's what we're chasing with our lives, that's where we're investing, that's what we're focused in our thinking on, that's all we can think about, and that's what we're going after. And the Bible says if anything besides God is that which occupies that place in your life, it is foolishness. It's a harsh word, but that's how Paul describes people and what we have done in our lives. And so all of us, there's probably something. If I were to ask you to take out a piece of paper and pen, and probably a really small piece of paper while you covered it with your hand so your neighbor wouldn't look over and write what you're watching, there's probably at least one thing you could write down on that piece of paper that is for you the thing that competes most strongly with God for first place in your life. There is something for you. You may be the most spiritually minded person in here, but I guarantee you there is something for you. So I want you to think of that thing right now. I want you to just kind of have it in your mind and just percolate on it. It it may be, okay, God, I I can't think of anything. Um, Ask your wife, she'll tell you, or your husband, he'll tell you. Ask your best friend, they'll tell you what it is because it's what you're talking to them about all the time. They've heard it, they're tired of hearing it, it's there. So just think about that thing, because what happens is I would think it's going to fall into one of a few categories. One thing that I find in our culture that's huge for what we are exchanging or trading the place God rightfully holds is, uh, I would say, entertainment or pleasure. We live in a society, we live in a culture that pursues being entertained, that pursues somehow being I would even use this word amused, not funny haha amused, but just the amusements of life. We like to be amused. Uh, anybody have a TV? Okay, here's a fun, I'm just curious. Anybody have the main TV in your house that is not a LCD, LED, or plasma? Okay, I'm proud of you. Because most of us have flat screens somewhere, right? got quiet in here a smart tv okay we have a smartphone and a smart tv so we can be dumb i think that's how it works no we have and and on that tv nowadays isn't it amazing not only can you watch programs from different channels but somehow you can subscribe to premium services that would show you movies 24 hours a day seven days a week and it used to be like when my parents got cable hbo was the only show in town and hbo was one channel i know it's revolutionary there was one hbo it's like just hbo and they gave you that little paper thing that you'd look and see that and now there's like 47 hbo's have you noticed that no maybe you have and and it's not that's not like you can watch hbo let's like like you're our house you turn on the tv and and you want to watch a program on whatever channel and you realize shucks it already started i missed the beginning now you can like go to the on demand section 
and watch that program, any program just about you want, from the beginning. Here's the worst part, though. You can't fast forward through the commercials when you do that. Am I the only one that gets frustrated about that? <laughs> I have three witnesses. Does anybody have a DVR? TiVo, DVR, yes. Aren't DVRs beautiful? You know, I just... See, what was my point? Because I think I'm, I'm lapsing into hedonism here for a minute about the TV. I'm, I'm illustrating. It's easy to put those things... And that, that's in our home. I, I, I mentioned football. There are thousands of people that worship at the altar of their favorite football teams. Every Saturday, Sunday, oh, oh no, wait, sorry, Thursday night football, NFL, sometimes a lesser-known Friday conference game, college football. Saturday, from noon till about 2 in the morning, you can watch college football. Amen, hallelujah. Sunday starts at 1, then there's 4, then there's 8.30, Anybody tracking? And then Monday night football. And you can, you know, I mean, we could go on. You could worship at this, that, that pursuit of those things. And, and, you know, anybody like to go to concerts? Think about the thousands of dollars that are spent on, on concerts. And, and, and maybe what you're thinking is, but I like Christian concerts. So that's okay. Not necessarily. Because here's what is the danger. I call it the culture or the cult of Christian celebrity. I love this artist. Casting Crowns, one of my favorites. I love Casting Crowns. Oh, I'm so happy I get to go see Casting Crowns. Oh, I can't wait to go to Night of Joy and see Casting Crowns. Where's Jesus in that? I'm just wanting to see Mark Hall or this artist or that. And it's easy to swap who should be at the top of the food chain for something in someone else. So one thing, if, I, if you're writing down what might be the thing that, that distracts you or competes most strongly with God, it might be something in the realm of amusement or entertainment, something of that nature. Another category uh, of, of things that, that gets in the way of, of true worship for God is, is self. You know, there are a lot of things out there that compete for our attention, but there's that one in the mirror that's really, really strong competition. A and here's how I see it in our world. I it boils down to feelings. See, th there is a sense in our world today that if I feel something strongly, you can't argue with it. That if I feel really strongly about this, it doesn't matter that's how I feel. You may feel differently, but I feel this, and so I'm going to do this, and that's it. Because feelings, that's just a way to put self at the top of the, the pyramid. Here's, here's, a, here's a secret. If you've never heard this before, you might want to listen. Your feelings can lie to you. Your feelings do lie to you. Has anybody ever cried watching a movie? Movies ain't real. And you were all emotional. Oh, did you see what happened in the notebook? Oh, sorry. <laughs> can't believe that. It was so sad. It's not real. Those people don't exist. They were made up. 
And in that moment, your feelings, told you, it was so real. I felt it so deeply. The tears, water leaked out of my eyes. It was so real. Your feelings lie to you. They lie. And if you decide that how you feel, if what you want and what you feel in that moment is the most important thing, you put that at the top of the pyramid, God will be booted down time and again because you will always choose you over him if you just follow your feelings. And so you say that, and it's, it's not fun, but it's just kind of, how we find ourselves in our life. And even in here, we, we see that it says, as they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, it says God gave them over. It's almost like if you want to pursue feelings and pursue self and pursue ego, what makes you happy, God eventually just goes, okay, go ahead. If that's, I, I'm, I'm just going to kind of step back and let you go the way you want to go. Now, I'll be here when it doesn't work out and there's forgiveness and there's grace, of course. But God, the, the idea that God would ga- ga- gave them over, it says in verse 24, that's tough because they made that exchange. Uh, you know, and you say, well, okay, preacher, that's all good, but we're here in church today, right? So that's not us. Okay, so here's something that we have to be careful for. We're in church. Worship. God is worthy. God is, deserves and has earned our praise and our love and our adoration. Here's wh- what you have to, to watch out for. Um, worship is not a spectator sport. So may- maybe amusements and maybe self isn't it. Maybe you really want to go, but here's what you have to know. Worship of God isn't just something you go to a place and watch happen and then go home and say, well, I've worshiped this week. That's, that's not giving God his rightful place. In fact, it's, it's sort of what they used to do when they would offer sacrifices to various gods to try to get something to happen that they wanted. They just went and they, they uh, you know, sacrificed the virgin and the volcano because they wanted something good to happen on their crops or on their land or, or success in war. And, and so we come, and in effect, that's what we're doing in this place when we just come as a spectator. That we kind of watch what happens. And it's, it's tough because sometimes what, when we do stuff up here, it looks like you should just kind of watch. Just kind of I come and, and see. But this is the, the danger or the difficulty we, we always have to guard against is making sure we're not putting on a show for a bunch of people that come. And we want to have the best show in town so more people will come to our show than the other shows in town. You know, this is not Broadway and we're not Hamilton. I thought more people would like that, um, but nonetheless, we're not, you know, the what's the one with the Wicked Witch? Um, wit- <laughs> I should have known that, yeah, or, or Les Mis, you know, it's not like you're on Broadway and you're like, you know, this church is like, oh, it's kind of like Hamilton, this church is kind of like Les Mis, and this church, which one do I want to see today? No, it's not like that. It's not just go and see the best show or the one that, that sort of, no, worship is, I'm going, not because of what I get in that place, but what I can offer in that place. Worship is, is out of you toward God. Not, you're not the receptacle that we're just pouring into. No, you come to offer yourself. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, one of those I, I remember memorizing. Um, I, I urge you, therefore, brethren, in view of God's mercy, that you present yourself living sacrifices, which is your acceptable 
act of worship. That you come as, as that sacrifice to God. In fact, it says, it says in James chapter 4, verse 8, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you. So if you just come here and sit and say, I'm just kind of watching what happens passively, and you leave and you go, well, I didn't feel very close to God today. I didn't feel much. Like, like that's what we're trying to do is make you feel good. To, to, that's, that's not it. No, you come with, with this in mind. I'm coming to this place, or I'm getting up Monday morning, or I'm Thursday afternoon pausing because I want to draw near. I want to make the conscious effort in my mind to try to draw near to God. And the promise from God is he will then come near to you. And, and you say, well, how, why is that? Well, here's the, the way that, that we interpret it through our perspective is we want to feel like God is near. We want to feel like, God, why isn't God reaching out to me? Why isn't God here? Why can't I feel like God is close? And then we look back in history and realize God has already reached out to you in a way you will never be able to match in reaching out to him. God already entered history in the person of Jesus and lived a life subject to all the temptations and all the pain and all the reality that you lived. And he offered himself on the cross of Calvary as the sacrifice for you. So God's already made this huge move toward you. So it's not like, you know, we, act, we make the first move and God's, no, God's already made the first move. But this says, in fact, there's another verse in Chronicles that says, the eyes of the Lord range to and fro about the earth, looking to strengthen the hearts of those who are wholly committed to him. And so it's as if on this day, as, as we as his people gather, or any day for that matter, God is looking, rain, his eyes ranging around the earth and looking for the one who says, okay, God, today, I want to be fully committed to you. And when he spots that, that verse says he strengthens your heart. Lord knows I need my heart strengthened sometimes because life is hard. Anybody had a hard week? I know some of you have because I know what's happened in your life. You had a lousy week. It's the worst week you could possibly imagine. And scripture says God is looking to strengthen the heart of those in spite of the circumstances who want to be fully committed to him. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. And so we, we don't come to this place just to, to spectate. We don't come just to kind of watch what happens. We, we also don't come because it's our habit, or in church world, we like to call it tradition. Is, is it um, Fiddler on the Roof? Tradition. Yeah. That's my three notes for the day, and that's all you get at least in the mic, nonetheless. That is the right musical. Huh? I, I will break into Hamilton, right? That's what you're all waiting for. You act like you don't even, do you know what Hamilton is? A couple of you. I can't rap, so you're good. Anyway, we have our traditions in church. In fact, Jesus confronted tradition. You know what it was about? This would be really popular in my house. Jesus got confronted over tradition for his disciples because they didn't wash their hands before they ate. That's like, that's important. How many of you think you should wash your hands before you eat? It's a good rule, right? And the religious leaders come to Jesus and want to know why his disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. And you know what Jesus says to them? Fascinating thing that he says. He says, you set aside the command of God for the tradition of men. 
Now, does that mean Jesus is against washing your hands? All, all the four-year-olds are like, you hear that, Mom? Of course, they're over there, so they didn't hear that, so never mind. Um, you know, that's, that's not it. Je- Jesus is not against washing your hands. See, see, what's happening in that part of Scripture is what's happened in history everywhere as far as religious people go. In that day and time, the emphasis of their laws were odd. And one of the key places in that day, in the first century, they emphasized was dietary laws. And one of the reasons they did that is because they wanted to know who's in and who's out. Let me give you this example. Let's say you're driving down the road, and it's, it's a, a six-lane highway, and you pull up to a stoplight, and, and you're stopped at the light. And on, on, on this side of you, a VW van pulls up. And you look over, and the person who's driving, the man who's driving, he's got nice long hair, maybe those little circular glasses. There's a peace sign, make love, not war, bumper sticker. You know what tribe they're with, right? You, you know their tribe? And maybe you shake your head and look this way. And over here is a BMW. And the guy sitting behind the driver's seat of the BMW, he's used moose in his, he's used product, excuse me, product in his hair. You can tell. He probably had brie and Chardonnay for lunch. And he's going to his uh, spa appointment for his manicure. You know his tribe, too, don't you? You kind of, we have markers, and we, we sort of put people into those tribes. And in the first century, the religious tribe had markers that they looked for. And they wanted to say, are you, are you bearing these marks that we can look for so we know you're in our tribe? And they emphasized some things hugely, really big, just for the sake of that, so they could feel like, Look, you don't do this. Here's the ultimate thing they were after. You don't do this, so I'm better than you are. Or more particularly, I'm closer to God than you are. Because I follow these things. And Jesus says, no, no, that's not how it works at all. It's not about these certain behaviors that you do. Hey, by the way, church world, we have our tribal behaviors. We do, I promise, we do. Um, when I was growing up, the main tribal behavior, like when I was a teenager, and maybe it's still talked about a lot, but I don't hear the phrase as much, but I know a teenage, young college student, the tribal behavior that was very important is the phrase quiet time. We evaluated everybody by their quiet time. Did you have a quiet time today? Did you have a quiet time this week? Y'all familiar with the phrase quiet time? You're like, yeah, I slept eight hours last night. I was very quiet. And your spouse is like, no, you weren't. You were very loud. But that's another story. You know, quiet time, like you spend a few minutes every day reading your Bible, praying, that sort of thing. That was one of the things. Uh, one of the tribal markers we have is church. Go to church. Go to church today. If you go to church, you're better than those who didn't go to church. I'm not saying that. Don't write that down and say, this is what I got out of the message today. I went to church, so I'm better than those who didn't. That's not the point at all. No, sometimes we make those external things more important than they are or than they ought as a way not to necessarily find out where we stand with God, but to find out where we stand with those around us. We want that pecking order. I've said in in preacher world, 
the tribal marker is how many people your church baptized last year. That's how we do it. We want to we meet each other. Hi, I'm Charles. And, and it's how many people did you baptize? How many people are on worship on Sunday morning? We ask those things. Those are like how we find out. Okay, let's say you baptized 200 and have 3,000 in service, and I didn't baptize 200, and I didn't have 3,000, so you're better than me. It does, I mean, that's not said explicitly, but that's kind of what it is. I know that because when I look up at the podium of these events, that's usually what's, I almost used that word that gets me in trouble. Um, now you're wondering what that word was, aren't you? <laughs> I'll tell you, is that okay? It's a bad, we, we use their statistics to pimp the different people. I don't know why that word comes to my mind, but it's a word I use. To promote, that's a better word, to promote. Promo- See, now, I'm from a different term. Yes. Too true, too true. We, we look up on the stage, and, and in the little program we get, that's how we're told to evaluate the people that are put up on the platform and how you know that they're supposed to be on the platform and you're supposed to be on the floor because they baptize more and they have more people in their church building on Sundays than you, which is odd because most of those people up on the platform say coming to church isn't what makes you a Christian. Coming to church is, is an act of worship, yes, but it, you can come to church and not worship at all. And can I also say this? You cannot come to church and have a great day of worship works both ways and and the other way tradition kind of gets or habit kind of gets into us is we go and we expect certain things that make us comfortable in worship there there are certain things all of us have that make us more comfortable than others in worship and there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing right or wrong about a certain style of worship. For instance, there are those that would tell you, if you come to church and your tradition is to be reverent, somehow you haven't really worshipped. And on the other hand, there would be those that say, if you come to church and you're dancing up and down the aisles and raising your hand and carrying on, that's not really worship, that's just chaos. And, and I would say, you know, sometimes in Scripture, people are mighty reverent before God like fell on my face as though dead reverent like not going to move a muscle because the glory of God is so tangible in this place I'm scared for my life that's worship and David oh there's that word again I was going to say dance naked before the Lord which really makes a big that's a church I'm not going to be a part of and I don't suggest you attend that's not what I'm going at but nonetheless David was very expressive in his worship at times before God. There's both. And I think personality is another thing. We have some people in here that are very outgoing, bubbly. Yeah, I can tell right now they're really bubbling up. Whoo! And usually... Usually, those people are more expressive in everything. Have you met Denise? <laughs> She's not here, right? No, I won't go there. No. She is more expressive than I am. Is that fair? 
that's probably fair. And so when a song comes on that she likes, she's more expressive around the house. So you got to listen to this song. That's nice. She said, what? Or some people that are more expressive. When you get a gift, think about this. When you get a gift, it's Christmas and somebody got you the perfect gift. How do you react to that? I mean, some people are like, there's, they're on YouTube. That's what they videotape and put on the internet because other people want to watch that sort of thing because it's so over the top. And others of us are, oh, that's, that's lovely. Thank you. Doesn't mean there's less gratitude from one expression to the other. It just means the expression of that gratitude is different. And some people are more reserved. And so in worship, they're not going to be waving their hands around and hopping up and down and jumping on one leg or whatever. And other people are much more expressive, and so their natural personality comes out. But not one is right, more, more right, writer, way more better, I don't know, than the other. They're both expressions of worship. They're both, uh, so, so sometimes what we do is with our expectations or our personality or our habits and traditions, we make a box and say, this is worship, and anything outside of it is not right. And what have we made the object of worship? Not God, but our own expectations. We've made a trade and put something else at the top of the pyramid, put something else at the top of the food chain, and in doing that, we've somehow unseated God from his rightful position. And anything that overtakes God as the priority in our life is idolatry, is a false worship. And anything that, that somehow elevates God to the rightful position because of who he is and what he has done, that is worship. And it looks different, yes, in different cultures, in different places, in different personalities. But that's the kind of the crux of the thing. And so Paul writes, and he says, listen, as we're looking at, at what's happened here in, in this culture, as we're looking at how you've been told about God, you know about God, the question isn't, what do I know about him? The question is, how is my life expressing his worthiness to me? How is the way I'm spending my time? How is the way I'm spending my money? How is the way I'm spending my thought currency? That's a whole other thing entirely, a thought life that is it focused on that because you know what you think about has a lot to do with the direction of your life if all you're thinking about is money that's probably a god an idol to you if all you're thinking about is your family more so that takes the place of god and we could go on and I'll, I'll nip it in the bud there so so all of those things paul says those are bad trades those are wrong things to do so what is then the right thing? Let's just very quickly, I have two more pages of notes, but I'm just going to read the scriptures to you. Aren't you happy? Mostly the kids are happy because that means we'll get out a little earlier than, than normal. Psalm chapter 50. In the middle of this book of Psalms, 150 chapters, the longest book in the Bible, we heard from chapter 150 earlier. In Psalm chapter 50, 
Um, it, it's, a, it's sort of a, a psalm written from the perspective of God talking to his people. And beginning in, in verse 8, Psalm chapter 50, verse 8, I think we have the verses up there, but I'll grab my copy here just in case. Um, God says this, I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. So we just talked about tradition. This verse says, God said, I, almost like I told you to do this. So I'm not saying the traditions that you have are inherently bad. It's all about what gets to the top. In fact, he goes on and says in verse 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? All these sacrificial things. He's saying, look, those things that you offer, I don't need them. They're mine. If I'm hungry, I don't need you to bring a bull. I already own a thou- the cattle on a thousand hills. There's nothing of that that you bring me. And, and he would say the same thing, by the way. We passed that plate and you put your checks or money in there. He would say the same thing. God would say, I don't need your money. Nothing you have can add to him. But there is some things that you have that God kind of took a little bit of his claim off of that he allows you to offer back to him freely. And he tells us what those are in these next few verses. Sacrifice thank offerings to God. You know, one thing that you can offer God is just gratitude. Worship to God can come out of just gratitude offered to him. Uh, Got some parents here, yeah? Got some parents who have kids that are adults, right? If that's you, raise your hand. Like, I had adult kids. Okay, so you're the ones I'm talking to. You're my example today. How many of you parents of adult kids have taken your adult kids and maybe their spouses and their kids out for a nice dinner. Awesome. How many of you parents with adult kids that have taken them out to dinner, took them out to dinner that they could afford because they might have and be making more money than you're making now because they're working and you're retired? Okay, good. We're still tracking. All right. How many of those people would it do your heart good not for them to say, no, let me pay for this, Dad, but when it was over to say, Dad, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you and mom taking us out tonight. How many of you say, that's what I want? More than paying the bill. I'm not going to ask who wants them to pay the bill. That doesn't help my point. But how many of you say, I'd rather have them just acknowledge and thank me. You're supposed to raise your hands now. My point's going to (laughs) flop. Right? I mean, that would do your heart good to hear genuine thanks from your kiddos. And and we, that's, that's what... God is saying, God the Father says to us, his children, thank me. There's kind of that question a lot of people ask, what's God's will for my life? A lot of things we might say. One thing I can say for sure, that's God's will for your life, to be thankful. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Pretty clear, right? One dynamic of true worship, one way to see what's at the top, if God, I should say, is at the top of the pyramid of your life, is are you living a life of thankfulness? Are you taking for granted 
what he gives you. We live in a cool place. Like from my house, I can walk a few blocks. Let me get this right. Is the sun, sun rises that way, right? I can walk a few blocks that way and over the water see a beautiful sunrise. And about 12 or 13 hours later, depending on the time of year, walk a few blocks that way. Actually, I can kind of look out of my window now and see the sun go down over here. That's awesome. Some of you post pictures of it. I get a lot more sunset pictures than sunrise pictures. So apparently the key is like to sleep later. But nonetheless, beautiful. And, and what's it to, to watch the sun come up? And to say, God, that is gorgeous. Thank you. Just, just simple. That, that's something that you can offer to God. That's beyond just the tradition and the duty. He goes on and he says in the next verse, or in the second half of that verse, fulfill your vows to the Most High. Fulfill your vows. What does that mean? Keep your promise, keep your word. How many of you probably have had in your, your lifetime a time where something was going on and it was hard and you might have prayed something like this, God, if you'll just get me through this, I will. Anyone? Now, don't answer this next part. <laughs> I'll answer it for you. I've done that. And then I could look back six months after God did what I asked him to do. And if I were to say, how faithful have I been to do the thing I said I would do if God did what I needed him to do? I say, ooh, I kind of forgot about that. Right? And that's, that's one place we sometimes make promises to God. But I, I make promises to God more often than just when bad stuff would happen. I've been in services where whatever, for whatever reason it was very meaningful and moving, I'm like, oh God, I hear you speaking to me. That, that message just hit home and I will fill in the blank. And two months later, I'm like, oh yeah, I think I might have promised that once. Yeah, what's God saying? He says, look, keep, keep your promises to me. I keep my promises to you. Keep your promises to me. You know, keep this commitment you've made. It's easy as, as humans to waver in our commitment. But, but God just wants us to say, okay, God, you are worthy. You are holy. You are righteous. You are whatever word in that moment we see. So God, because of who you are, this is who I'm going to be. He just wants us to be that as a way to acknowledge that he deserves that highest point in our life. And, and the next verse says this, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. Kind of build, sacrifice, thank offerings, fulfill your vows and call upon me in your day of trouble. God says, I want to be a part of your life. Now, a lot of us think, well, when there's trouble, we usually call upon God. But I would guess, if you're like me, sometimes God's sort of like either the last resort or in your mind, you're thinking, God, help me. Now, who can I call that can really help me? God, I need this, but I also kind of hedge my bets over here. But, but I, I love what he says. He says, call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. One of my favorite Old Testament characters is Gideon. I said I wasn't going to preach much more. I lied. Forgive me. Gideon is going to fight the Midianite army. And if you're going to fight a battle, what do you need? You need an army. So he gets 32,000 
soldiers, people are going to fight the Midianites. And what does God say to him? Too many. So here's what you should do, Gideon. Say to this 32,000, if any of you is scared of going into battle, it's fine. You can walk away, no questions asked. 22,000 leave. Okay, God, I went from 32,000 to 10,000. Let's go. Gideon, no. You still have too many people. So here's what I want you to do. They're thirsty. Take them down to get a drink. And they're going to drink one of two ways. Some of them are going to get down on their knees and put their face to the water and suck it up out of the river. And others are going to get down and put the, the water in their hands and bring their hands to their mouth and lap it out of their hands. Only the ones that bring the water to their mouth and their hands, only those are going to be the ones that you're going to take into battle. 32,000 becomes 10,000 becomes 300. Okay. Ready for battle with 300 people. What do you need? This is the audience response portion. Weapons. So, of course, when you think we need weapons, what do you think of? A trumpet and a lantern. Let's fight. 300 people around the Midianite camp with trumpets and lanterns. Oh, yeah, this is going to go well. So they all blow their trumpets and break their lanterns. And what happens? Scripture says the Midianites are shocked. They begin to turn on each other and run for the hills. Call upon me in your day of trouble, and I will deliver you. We like that part, right? It's the getting from that part to the third part that Gideon probably had some issues with, and sometimes I do. Because ultimately, when God delivers us, he usually does it in a way that we end up honoring him. You know, at the end of that battle, nobody could say, Gideon, that was an awesome military plan. You were inspired. I'm sure they were all thinking that when they were getting their trumpets ready. Do, 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 do. No. Like, Gideon is a nutcase. What are we going to do? If this goes bad, they already had their exits marked. But in the end, when all of it went down, there was no doubt who was at the top. Who was the one that was worthy to receive all the credit and all the glory. And that's what is in mind in our life of worship. Not just when we're in this room, but all week long. When somebody looks at your life, when you consider your life, what is it that's at the top? What is it that, that is the focus? What is it that's getting the most of your attention, the most of your allegiance, the most of your loyalty? That's the thing that you're worshiping. And if it's anything other than God, you've made an exchange. And we saw how that worked out. Let's pray together.